I'm lead pastor Noel Petras, and welcome to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a home in the family of God, or feel called to be a part of a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in the Veterans Memorial Building at 324 North Cahuilla Avenue. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or find us on social media. Thanks for listening. When I was a kid, I played a game uh, with my brother called Say Mercy. Anybody ever play that game with uh, friends growing up where you, you, you grab hands, squeeze and twist each other, trying to hurt each other really badly until finally someone could not take it anymore and had to yell, mercy, mercy. And when you yelled mercy, you lost. And you bore the shame of having to cry for mercy. And obviously, uh, this game is a bit of a pride contest, right? I doubt that many of you women played this game. Probably was more of a young man's game, but my brother would take it to me. And I remember the feeling of shame that would come over me when I had to say mercy. Definitely didn't make me feel very manly. And the idea this morning is that we walk into this idea of mercy with some shame. It's not very manly to have to ask for mercy. It puts us in a humbling position, doesn't it? So what is mercy? Let's take a look at what mercy actually is. By definition, mercy is the compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. The dominant person in the game that I just described has the power to punish the weaker person. But as the rules of the game go, when mercy is asked for, mercy is given. And that is what mercy is. It's to show compassion towards someone who is unworthy of it, who has not deserved it. Now, mercy is actually a withholding. It's not a, an act of commission. It's an act of omission. It's an omission of wrath. And the passage that we've come to today is about two men who recognize Jesus as Lord, uh, not just as, as uh, a master, or as a Greek word literally means a sir to be honored, but the literal Messiah, the son of David. And these men show us they know who Jesus is by crying out for mercy. Why? Because Jesus is a merciful Lord. 
The key question we're going to be asking in these next three passages is, who is Jesus? We're going to develop a bit of a three-week theme in Matthew 20, 29, all the way through Matthew 21, 22. And in this three-part mini-series, we'll see Matthew's summary teaching on Jesus' character. In today's passage, we're going to see Jesus as a merciful Lord as he heals two blind men. In the passage to come next week, we're going to see Jesus riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem. And we'll see him in this passage as a modest king. And then finally, July 30th, once we come back from our house-to-house gatherings, Danny Bartlett will be here to share with us and show us how Jesus, through his cleansing of the temple and his cursing of the fig tree, is a mighty prophet. Now, you may uh, recognize uh, or have a sense of familiarity with today's passage because there's a similar story in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus also heals two blind men who cry out to Jesus, calling him the son of David. Uh, There's also a couple cross references uh, in Mark 10, 46 through 52 and Luke 18, 35 through 43 we see a very similar story to today's story taking place. Except in those gospel accounts, there's only one blind man. In fact, the blind man's got a name in Mark's account. His name is Bartimaeus. But in any event, I think this is a different story than the Matthew 9 event, which happened near Jesus' hometown. And I think it's the same story in the gospel accounts of Mark and Luke, even though they only talked about one of the blind men being healed. Matthew will focus on both blind men. So Jesus has been headed towards Jerusalem from the Galilee area. And as we know, because he's told us now three times, he's going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die at the hands of the religious leaders. His route, however, is a tad different than you might expect. And if you can see the map behind me, you'll notice that Jesus did not take the straightest path from point A, Galilee area, to point B, the Jerusalem area. In fact, we we learn in Matthew chapter 19 that Jesus actually took the route near the Jordan River. So he came all the way over here towards the east. As he traveled down the Jordan River, he came to Jericho, which if you remember the story of the Israelites being led towards the promised land, Jericho was the site of their first battle, a battle in which they did not use weapons. Their weapon, in fact, was a melody as they sang and prayed around the walls for seven days before the city was delivered into their hands. So Jesus is on his own pilgrimage to a promised land of sorts, just like the people of Israel centuries before. But Jesus' promised land, or the promised land that he's headed towards, is a different type of promised land. In fact, it's not a place. It's a person. The person of Jesus is our new promised land. It's not a a path to an earthly reign. Rather, a path to an eternal resurrection. And in any event, we pick up our story today with Jesus leaving Jericho on his journey 
to Jerusalem. Verse 29 says, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Notice the phrasing here, a large crowd followed him. This is typical Jesus. Large crowds seem to always be following him. Interesting, though, to contrast the idea that here we see large crowds following him. Before Jerusalem, the crowds were large. But after Jerusalem and his death, the crowds are going to get very small. So verse 30, it says, Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they had heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David! Have mercy on us. A few things I wanted to point out early on about these blind men who see. Notice the irony. Blind men who see. It's the blind in this story who truly recognize who Jesus is. They recognize him as Lord. They recognize him as Son of David. Two really important titles. These uh, these blind men are social outcasts. That's why they're not in the city. They're outside the city. They're outsiders. So who knows why these men are blind? It might be because of another disease that they have, but in this time and place, the the blind were sent outside the city. And as we've been learning, it's often outsiders, like these blind men, who Jesus makes insiders in God's kingdom. I think it's both an encouragement to those of us who feel like we're on the outside, And a warning to those of us who feel like we're on the inside. In Jesus' kingdom, it would seem that the outsiders are brought in by faith. These blind men demonstrate great faith. They say, what do they say? They say, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Their their words are really important parts of this story. First of all, Lord. In Matthew, only believers call Jesus Lord. If you look at the gospel accounts in Mark and Luke, the the word Jesus is actually used. But Matthew heard Lord. He wants his audience to hear Lord because he's representing the faith that lives in these two blind men. There's this Greek word uh, used here. It looks like Kyrie, like Kyrie Irving, but it's actually Kyrie. And uh, there's another form of that word, Kyrios, which can mean sir. I think I already referenced that. So they're, they're... looking up to Jesus. They're recognizing a certain authority. And again, in Matthew, this word always intends to reader, it always intends that the reader would hear faith declared. The phrase is actually Kyrie eleison. Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. These are really important words. You may have noticed son of David. Maybe you're thinking, what does it mean? That Jesus is the son of David. I remember, I think it was our first Sunday as a church. We studied the genealogy uh, of Jesus in Matthew. We had like a kid in my family who had COVID. And we literally had church on Zoom that morning. I remember everyone else was at the Stout's house. Anyways, we, we learned in that genealogy that the, the lineage of Jesus is really important. And Matthew would want the audience to be reminded that those who recognize Jesus rightly recognize that he's come from the royal line of David. Remember, Matthew was writing to a mostly Jewish audience, and he was trying to convince the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah, 
that they've been waiting for. Son of David. See, Israel's long believed that the Messiah would, would be not only a son of David, but that he'd be from the house of David. And that he'd also sit forever on David's throne as a king of sorts. And this, is, uh, so, this idea is so prolific in the Old Testament that I, I'm going to quote one passage, but I could have quoted 50 passages. First Chronicles 17, verse 11. Um, in, that, in this passage, God says these words via a prophet named Nathan to David. He says, when your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring. These are God's words to David. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. This is a description of Jesus, the one to come, who the Jews would know as the son of David. The third thing that the blind men say, they say, Lord, son of David, recognition of Jesus' identity. And then the third thing they say, have mercy on us. It seems that these blind men knew that Jesus was a man of mercy. So in their desperation, they had an opportunity presented to them, and they did not let this opportunity fall by the wayside. They cry out to him. They must have understood the Old Testament. Jesus, Psalm 72, calls it, says this about Jesus, that he will deliver the needy who cry out. These blind men recognize Jesus and they know their own need. And they say, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And in our book, it says that you will answer the cry of the needy. And we're needy. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Did you know Jesus' name? Yeshua, or Joshua, as it's sometimes translated. Jesus means Savior. Savior, and they recognize Jesus' work rightly, don't they? This is the Savior, the person that we can cry out to for mercy. And they do. They don't miss their opportunity. God, save us. Now notice in, uh, in every other situation in the Gospels, Jesus, uh, when met with people who recognize his identity, he chooses to keep his messianic nature quiet. The last time we heard a story about blind men receiving sight, Jesus told them, don't tell anybody about what's happened here. And I don't know if you remember, did they do that? No, they went and told everybody what had happened. But this is the first time where Jesus is recognized and he chooses to accept the recognition. It seems as if the time is drawing near. He's getting really close to Jerusalem now. His death is imminent. And so these blind men recognize him, and, and Jesus, uh, Jesus accepts their recognition. Notice, I think this is important, he doesn't necessarily announce himself as Messiah, but here he's willing to receive or to accept their recognition of him. This is the beginning of Jesus' coming out party. In the next story that we'll read, Michael will, will teach us from, Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem 
on a donkey. They're going to wave palm branches. They're going to say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They're going to proclaim his kingship. Jesus is coming out. So the blind men see Jesus rightly, but uh, the next characters in the story have a different reaction to Jesus. In uh, verse 29, it said that a large crowd was following him as he left the city. Uh, And perhaps they've been mesmerized by his teaching and healing. I think we would be mesmerized uh, by his teaching and his healing. And And we know that's been the account. They've been in awe of him. His power has got them really captivated. Uh, but the crowd challenges these blind men who cry out to Jesus. Look at verse 31. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The first thing we learn about the crowd is that the crowd of followers try to keep the blind men from Jesus. Isn't it odd? Why would they want to keep these men from Jesus? They've just seen Jesus teach and move in power. It made me wonder, you know, are, are, these, um, are these actually true followers? Are they true disciples of Jesus? All we know is that they're a crowd. But I think if we're, if we're like humbly honest, uh, we have to recognize that sometimes Christ followers are are the greatest obstacle to outsiders. And it's, it's humble, but it's probably true. And I don't know. I mean, I don't want to be naive to the possibility that uh, these followers were acting as deterrents to others following Jesus. I don't want to be naive to the fact that sometimes we as Jesus followers are the church's biggest problem. And I don't, I don't point this out in order for us to deconstruct the entire church or to be overly church critical, but I I do point this out, that we would be church humble, that we'd be honest with ourselves about our own ability to get in the way of outsiders coming to Jesus if we're not careful. And it begs the question, you know, why, why do these followers act this way? What's behind the motive to get in the way? Why do you think they challenge these blind men who seem to be crying out, rightly recognizing Jesus, And crying out for the right things. Mercy. Is it because of self-protection that they're challenging these two blind men? Are they they trying to protect their own position? Nah, hey, we're Jesus followers. We're insiders. You guys are outsiders. Maybe that's what's going on. You know, if if you've been here at Exeter Valley Church for a year... Could you not easily be, nah, hey, I've been here. I'm on the inside. And could that get in the way of welcoming people from the outside? I don't know. Trying to put it in our own language here. Maybe they're self-protecting. Maybe they've kind of got this mindset like, hey, don't, don't bother the holy man. Don't, don't bother uh, Jesus as if he's like untouchably holy. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't get too close. They had a high reverence for God. In that Jewish culture, and I think Jesus has something to show us about the touchability of the Holy Son of God. Maybe they were kind of saying, hey, that's not how we behave around Jesus. We can do that sometimes here. Someone maybe says something at the wrong time. They 
They continue on in the, in the chorus, even when they weren't supposed to continue singing in the chorus, and all of a sudden it's a solo, or maybe it's the kid that's yelling in the microphone or being too rambunctious. You get what I'm saying, right? Anybody grow up, it, it's always easier to look back to learn. Anyone grow up in a church culture where it was like smacked on the back of the head if you so much as made a peep in service? And, and maybe that's good and right, but you get what I'm saying. Sometimes it's like, that's not how we do things around here. Got to have reverence for the holy man. I don't know, but, but I know that they're, at this time, these followers are like the greatest obstacle to these outsiders coming to Jesus. And uh, I, I'm pretty moved, however, by the response of the blind men because the blind men are undeterred by the challenge of the crowd. They double down. And it's a good reminder that oftentimes real faith grows with obstacles. Oftentimes false faith dies when obstacle comes. But real faith tends to grow. Anybody, anybody know someone who's struggled in their faith since maybe COVID happened? Things got really tough. Maybe they were disappointed with the way that the church responded Maybe the last political cycle caused some folks to develop a, a bit of a loss of faith. Uh, I know I had a, I have, I've got a friend who told me that he used to know Jesus, and then his brother died. And he can't go back to faith in a God who would have let that happen. You get what I'm saying? Sometimes these obstacles come, and I, I'm moved by the faith of these blind men who double down. They are undeterred. Real faith grows when obstacles come. And, and I just, if I could for a second, could I just challenge you, hopefully in a kind way. If the people of God disappoint you, what happens to your faith? And what does it reveal about your faith when people disappoint you? If people's behavior can cause you to get disappointed in God, what does it reveal who has your faith been in all along when God's people can disappoint you in such a way that you lose faith altogether? These blind men, they doubled down. They knew who Jesus was. And they knew what they needed from him. Look, the Bible is chock full of stories of God's people acting in disappointing ways. And I would, I would, love, like, I, I would love to never disappoint you. I would love that no one would ever say, this person said this to me at Exeter Valley Church, and I just can't go there anymore. It made me lose faith in God. I would love for that to be the story, but will that be the story? 100% no. Someone here, me, just stick around a while. I'll let you down. I'll disappoint you. I'm not, I'm not bragging about it. You get what I'm saying, but it's gonna, it'll happen, right? Because I'm a fallible human being. These blind men, they're completely undeterred by the challenge of the crowd. They don't use it as an obstacle. They actually use it as a ladder to grow their faith. Don't let imperfect people dissuade you from a faith in a perfect God. Who's our faith in, the people or the person of Jesus? I kind of love this perspective of Jesus on the cross. We're kind of fast-forwarding. What does Jesus say? He's hanging on the cross for all of our sin. And what does he say? Does he, does he, allow, does he allow people's imperfection to get in the way of his relationship with his father. No, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they've done. I've, I've noticed in a church plant that one of the types of folks that 
that you attract are people who've been disappointed by church elsewhere. And I would just, uh, I would raise my hand, like, I've been disappointed in church elsewhere. And I'm not naming names this morning because there'd be a several names to name. I grew up in the church, been around the church, and I, I just, I'm here to tell you that the church will disappoint you at some time. Father, forgive them. They know not what they've done. That's what Jesus said. And these blind men are not dissuaded by the challenge of the crowd. They double down. I love it. It made me think, though, like, what's getting in the way of you receiving mercy this morning? The blind men had a crowd challenging, mocking, rebuking their cry for mercy. But what's getting in the way of you receiving mercy this morning? Are you like me when I'm getting wrestled by my brother and it's just shame? I don't want him to think I'm a wuss or whatever he would call me. Maybe in your shame you're thinking, God, God wouldn't want to help me. I've done too many bad things for God to want to extend mercy to me. Maybe your disappointment with God or his people and the way that they've let you down in the past. Maybe it's just bad theology, bad beliefs, incorrect beliefs about God that are getting in your way. Maybe you're like, ah, I don't know, God, why would he want to heal me? Why would he want to see me well? Look, faith gets to Jesus no matter what. We learn in this story, the blind men were gonna get to Jesus. They'd seen him rightly. Lord, son of David. And they knew what to ask. Have mercy on us. Faith will not be denied. Where there's a will, there's a way. This is an essential fact of the gospel witness. True faith gets to Jesus. Question for you as it relates to faith. If, if God answered all your prayers from last week, think about the last week. If God answered every prayer you prayed last week, how would your life look different? If you knew the answer would be yes when you came to Jesus, what would you ask for? True faith gets to Jesus. So these men, they're, they're desperate outsiders. They see Jesus, they recognize him. They recognize who he is, and they will not be denied. There's like this gritty, like Rudy, movie character Rudy, who Rhett looks like, in my opinion. Side note. There's like this Rudy-like tenacity about these blind men, right? Rudy, the little small guy that walked on at Notre Dame. You guys have seen this movie. If not, Google it. Anyways, that wasn't in my script, but they just will not be denied. They will not be denied. They know who Jesus is. They've seen him rightly, and they will not be dissuaded in the face of the challenge from the crowd. They cry out to Jesus, and he hears their cry. Let's take a look at <clears throat> the Lord who shows mercy. Verse 32, it says, Jesus stopped and he called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. First thing I notice about these two passages is that Jesus sees not just cases, but people. What do you want me to do for you? Do you think Jesus knew the answer to this question? Yes, but he, he asked, what do you want me to do for you? I don't know if he's like trying to figure out if their cry for mercy is legit. 
No doubt he's been used to people all along the way asking for stuff from him. Maybe he's thinking, do they want money or do they want mercy? Do they want money or do they want healing? Which is it? I think Jesus is trying to see, do they trust him with their deepest need? He's testing them. Will they ask for what I know they need the most? The one thing that would change their entire life. Look, faith brings its deepest needs to Jesus. I just asked you to reflect. What if all your prayers from last week came true? I was convicted with this this week. Like, maybe my life might not look that much different. I was convicted with maybe being in a spot, praying like really small prayers. Not bringing my deepest needs to Jesus like these two blind men. Faith brings its deepest needs to the merciful Jesus who doesn't just see cases. He sees people. And notice too, Jesus' question seems to draw out their confidence. This is how Jesus works. Always knowing how to perfectly draw out faith. It's even though he knows the answer. He knows the answer. The all-knowing God asks, what do you want from me? But it's his compassionate question that seems to power or fuel their faith-filled request. And in their bold request, their faith is on full display. A commentator named Matthew Henry says that if they ask for alms, money, it shows that they see him as a common man. But if they ask him for mercy, it shows that they see him as the Messiah. How do you see Jesus, and how would I know it from the prayers that you pray? How do you see Jesus, and how would I know it from the prayers that you pray? What if you got everything you asked for last week? What would your life look at? Their faith, uh, these blind men's faith is legit. And Jesus responds to faith in the Gospel of Matthew the second part of verse 34, it says uh, that, uh, I'm sorry, the first part of verse 34 says that Jesus had compassion on them and he uh, touched their eyes. Remember, this is a Jesus who cares not just about cases, but about people. And he has compassion on them. And then he goes to touch their eyes. His compassion motivates his move toward them. And what does he do? Jesus touches them. Keep in mind the, the blind, the sick, the ill, the lepers, the outsiders were often considered untouchable. This is no small act. Jesus moves towards them in compassion. He gets really close. Remember, this is Emmanuel, the God who's come to be with us. Jesus, in his compassion, he moves close. He's not afraid to get dirty. He's not afraid to get what they've got. He moves really close. Evidently, he's a physical Messiah. His mercy, it would seem, has actual touch. And I'll just extend that to you this morning. Jesus isn't afraid to touch the parts of your life that feel too messy. He's not afraid to touch the parts of your life that need physical touch. <laughs> Jesus is a toucher. I mean that in the right way. Jesus is a toucher. This is this is why when you show up at Exeter Valley Church, you're probably going to get a hug. We believe in appropriate physical affection. 
in part because this is, I think this is Christ-like love that he would come close and touch you. Have you heard stories about babies who don't get touched at a young age? Jesus comes close. He, he touches these men who have probably think they're too dirty, probably think they're untouchable, and touch matters, and people matter, and so Jesus touches people. And what happens when Jesus touches people? The climax of the story, verse 34, it says, immediately they received their sight and followed him. Immediately they received their sight and they followed him. His, uh, his move towards them evidently makes them move towards him. Jesus is the author. He's the initiator of our faith. And Jesus' move towards these men has, has moved them towards him. He heals and they follow. As we uh, move towards response time this morning, I actually, uh, I was working on this message this week and it was just like, th there were ways in which it was a great week in our house, but there were ways in which it was a difficult week in our house and Megan in particular went through a difficult week, a difficult, difficult few days. Um, and I was, I was thinking about her as I was preparing this message. Um, it seemed as if she needed mercy seemed as if she was in a spot to call out for mercy. And anyway, um, yesterday, Megan came to me and was like, I think I have something to share, an invitation to give. And I said, oh, that's funny because I've been thinking about you, which isn't abnormal, but I've been thinking about <laughs> and visualizing, actually, you may be inviting us to receive mercy as a way of response. So I'm going to have Megan come up and... Um, finish my sermon this morning and then and then Sean will come so thanks Meg like Noel said this was a, a week for me and it's um, maybe even been months and years it and uh, um, I know I'm in a position of being like a, a pastor's wife and that that carries uh, I'm sure all sorts of, you guys have all sorts of ideas of <laughs> who I am and um, what I'm like. And I'm sure that you paint a picture of me that's far more uh, perfect and lovely than I, I am. And this morning I just felt like I could draw you near by sharing um, my own weakness and my own need as um, these in the way that these men likely felt and um, so I'm not blind I wasn't born blind but um, since 18 or so I have uh, carry just depression anxiety and it's it's been um, a big part of my life and um, and so I, I can relate to the feeling of um, being on the outside, of actually uh, of feeling shame and feeling unworthy and um, having crowds. People tell me, like, you know, just feeling tired of, of being in, a, in this kind of a place, feeling more needy than I would like. And um, 
And so feeling unwanted and, um, and, and not feeling uh, like I am worthy of community, like these men probably felt like, you know, they were, they were pushed out of the community. They were, they didn't have things to, you know, offer. And uh, anxiety and depression, you know, it can be very isolating, especially. And so, um, anyway, um, the other, the other piece is just that these men, um, I guess what I wanted to say is that we are all uh, just as needy as these men are or were. And, um, and in their, so they saw two things rightly, right? They saw themselves rightly and they saw God rightly. And the way that they saw themselves rightly is that they saw that they were in need. They were in need of a savior that they couldn't save themselves. And uh, I would just want to uh, normalize that, uh, that, you know, we can look at each other and we can size each other up and be like, you know, that person probably isn't broken or isn't needy or I'm so much more of a mess than they are. And, you know, we let shame start telling a story about uh, who we are. It's not so much that we're this, but it, it shame comes and then to tell us who we are because of that. You know, well, you're, because you have anxiety or depression or because you are something, you're bad or you're unwanted. You're too much. Nobody wants you like the crowd, like, hey, just go away, <laughs> you know. Uh, Jesus doesn't have time for you. And uh, so this morning, I just wanted to normalize the fact that we all are needy. We all are maybe blind or what in some ways we all have a blindness, something that, um, that can either keep us out of community and keep us in shame and keep us outside the city. Um, and that when we can recognize that need and we can cry out, um, in just, like these guys were, un- I mean, they're yelling, right? Like they are yelling. They're not just hoping Jesus is going to see us like he'll see us, you know. So just like let's just hope Jesus sees us. And sometimes we just hope just someone will see us. And no, they're yelling at the top of their lungs like, Jesus, you know, I am so needy. Like, please, would you like come and have mercy on me? And like Noel says, they doubled down. And I can tell you it's been, I'm 41 and a half, and it's been a 24-year journey of, you know, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, like, doubling down. And I mean, you can ask my friends, like, I've left voicemails where I'm just crying. Like, you know, like, I need, I need, I need. And, um, like, we need to cry out like, to others, because, um, so, I just want to invite you, uh, to cry out this morning, um, with your need for Jesus, and honestly, the only way we, we cry out is because we believe we have 
some hope that that person cares, right? Like that they're, they can do something about our situation, right? Like we don't just cry out in despair and no, we cry out because we think like something will shift. Like if I can get to Jesus or Jesus can get to me, something will shift. And, and so, um, that's just this morning. I just want to invite you to come to see Jesus rightly that, like I said, yourself rightly as in need of a savior and to see Jesus as a willing savior, like not just a capable savior, but someone who's like, what do you want me to do? Like he wants, he wants to come close. Like Noel said, he wants to touch you. He wants to bring wholeness. He wants, um, he wants to do that. And you need community to do that. Like this is a place we're the body of Christ. Like we need each other's help even to get to Jesus sometimes. I know, like I need my friends to remind me of who God is, to speak the truth over me, to continually minister to me. I don't always just get to Jesus on my own. Um, so with that, uh, what do you want the Lord to teach? to the Lord to do for you this morning. Um, and what is, like Noel said, what's getting in the way? Push through that shame that's maybe got you away from, G or, you know, is an obstacle. And I know about disappointment, guys. I know about asking and, and not getting, okay? And like Noel said, you double down. You stop. Like, or you keep coming. You just keep coming. Like, where else? Where you can, there, there's other places you can go. And you'll find out, like, that they, they won't be able to heal you. Like, your heart, it, they'll disappoint you, <laughs> I promise. And um, so keep coming. And keep believing the truth about God. And let me remind you in Hebrews, uh, there's a lot to say about who God is. But let me just remind you, um, I got a lot of notes here, but in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, sorry, I moved my Bible here. I know it, but I don't want to screw it up. <laughs> it says a lot, but it says we have a great high priest this is Jesus, who has entered heaven. He's the son of God, which these guys, you know, admitted he's the son of God. This high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. He knows our weaknesses, you guys. He's been through it. He's not, he's not somebody who's just um, he's not, he's Emmanuel, like God said. He, he knows us. He created you. He knows everything about you. He walked this earth. He walked this life. He was rejected. He was, all of the things that we've experienced, he's experienced. And so, as a result, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, 
There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So I just invite you, um, this symbolically, yes, the, the bread and the cup is Jesus. Like he said, like in his last times with his disciples, you know, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Eat and drink in remembrance of me. And we remember how kind and compassionate Jesus was to give us his life so that we could come back, get to the promised land. Like Noel said, like God is the promised land. Like it's him. It's it's who, he's who we want. It's his kingdom that Jesus inaugurated. He's, Jesus made the way that we could get back to the promised land. So as you come this morning to, to drink, to eat and to drink, just pray that you would know this merciful high priest that made a way for you to come boldly to receive mercy in your time of need. And I just would invite you to come and ask for for prayer or like Noel said, just a hug. (laughs) You don't even have to say anything. You can come and I'll be up here to just give you a hug. (laughs) You don't have to tell me everything. God knows you can tell me everything, but just want you to um, to have a chance to ask your father to cry out to him, to bring your need before him, and to let him touch you, to minister to you, to give you the mercy and the grace that you're so longing for. So come. Hey, we're so glad you joined us, but don't forget to stay connected either through our website, our social media, or the Church Center app. Or you know what? Better yet, come join us in person on a Sunday morning. See you soon.